story of Jesus meeting the demoniac is in three of the Gospels. And in one of the stories, it has the region of the Gadarenes, and it has two people instead of one. But I think it's the same encounter, and, and it may be that one of the guys was still well-known among the group, and so his story in particular is told in two of the Gospels. But um, Jesus had just calmed the storm. Uh, he'd been sleeping on a cushion. The disciples were afraid that they were going to drown. And uh, he, they wake him up, and he just challenges them about their lack of faith, and then he uh, calms the storm, which, again, shows his power and his ability to uh, overcome natural elements. And then as soon as they get to the shore, there's a man that comes out. It says he has an unclean spirit, and he came from the tombs. And uh, it's... Uh, it's a story of a, a person who's who's really um, whose life has been destroyed through the demonic. And if you want to contrast that to what we believe about the work of the Holy Spirit, we believe that the Holy Spirit leads us into health and well-being. That when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit and such, we recognize that um, there are things brought into our lives as a result of the Spirit that are powerful, but on the other side of the story, um, and I guess one of the things that I was looking at in regard to this is that when when we talk about the demonic, uh, it definitely can affect lives in a way that is destructive. And at times, maybe we aren't as alert to look around us and acknowledge that uh, there are cases of demonic present, uh, possession in our midst. Uh, people around us that we can see their lives unraveling and at times maybe we would be better uh, spending our time praying for deliverance than just that their situations would change uh, but anyway this man uh, exerted incredible physical power as a result of the demonic and it says that people had tried to bind him hand and foot that uh he would break chains. He would break shackles. Nobody was strong enough to subdue him. Uh, you know, the effect on his life was such that he was losing all those around him. They're trying to subdue him and restrain him. And it's just not happening. And, uh, you know, the, it gets worse in the sense that he's out in the tombs and on the mountains. So he, he basically has stepped into a life of isolation because nobody wants to be around him and, and there's no health there. But he's also crying out and cutting himself. And, you know, he, we look around us and we see people um, at times who actually seem to um, be mutilating themselves and you're going, this most likely is more than just uh, mental issues. There's a demonic element in this. And uh, a lot of times, you know, when you talk with people that are, are dealing regularly with mental institutions, there's a knowledge that there's a demonic element to this on a regular basis. It's not that all destruction and not all defacing or all... Um, uh, activity this way is demonic, but regularly it, it does occur. And I think as Christians in this culture, 
there are times when we just don't necessarily acknowledge it for what it is. But anyway, this man comes out and it's, uh, you know, when you walk through the scripture as far as destruction and disability, um, remember the story of Jesus coming down off the mountain and post after the transfiguration. Um, there's a boy that uh, his parents have brought him there and he's having seizures and keeps throwing him into the fire and into water and, and they're beside themselves as to how to help him. And uh, the disciples have been unable to cast out the demon, but Jesus, again, uh, delivers him quickly. And uh, you know, we're looking at that and going, well, I don't necessarily understand all this, but I still believe that that is a certainty or a possibility. And then you have several stories in Scripture of physical disabilities being connected with the demonic. Certainly not everything. I mean, in John 9, when Jesus talks about, uh, you know, the disciples asked him, who sinned, this man or his parents? And he's going, no, this is for the glory of God that this man is blind in this moment. And then he heals him. But that said, there were people that were mute. Uh, in Matthew 12, there's a story of man being blind and mute as a result of the spirits. Mary Magdalene had said in one um, passage she'd had seven demons cast out of her. But uh, also it spoke of her having disabilities, uh, which are this particular translation used that term. Uh, there's a story in Luke 13 of a woman being bent over or stooped over for 18 years as a result of the demonic. So, again, debilitating, uh, self-destructive, you know, things that uh, are, are crippling in this life and you know, when we look at that, there ought to be a heart's desire to see that changed. And in that, sometimes uh, there's, an, there's an open window just to, to look at this and say, Jesus set this person free. Uh, I can remember sitting in my office with Ed one day and we're talking to a kid that's been a cutter. And immediately as we're praying, there's a deliverance that takes place. And you're going, I... Don't really understand this, but I sure believe it happened in this moment. And uh, he's set free. Now, the sad part is later he goes back to it, uh, months and months later. But uh, in that moment, God had delivered him. And, uh, you know, there are times when you, you're going, I, I don't know how to deal with this. But a simple prayer often is enough to set people free. And we need to be aware of that. Um, so when this man comes out of the tombs and he comes to Jesus, immediately he bows down and he says, leave me alone. I implore you, do not torment me. And again, this is the demonic speaking out. There's an awareness among the demonic that, uh, the demons are scheduled for torment and destruction. Uh, in Jude, it says that, uh, you know, our, Excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. But this type of calling to Jesus happens a couple times at least where a man, uh, you know, in the synagogue on the Sabbath is needing deliverance. And uh, the demons go, I know who you are. And, uh, you know, they say, leave us alone. Have you come to destroy us? And there's an awareness that 
God has scheduled them for destruction. Um, the torment that's coming is listed in Jude, you know, that of some being bound in chains of utter darkness for the judgment day. In Revelation chapter 20, it talks about the devil uh, being thrown into fire and sulfur and, and being tormented there day and night forever and ever. So in this case of, of the the man coming out of the tombs and you know him call, bowing down and calling out in regard to torment, the demons are saying, "Is please don't send us to this place." There's a knowledge that that's that's where the end is for the demonic. It's it's a curious contrast to me that the demonic in a life now causes torment, and self destruction, but later at the end of time. It's the demonic that will be tormented and destroyed. And uh, again, you know, we look at that and at times we're just oblivious to the supernatural side of this. And it's good to have these passages to, to bring awareness to us. Um, so Jesus asked, well, what's your name? And they said, Legion. Uh, and again, they're begging him not to send them out of the area. So it's... Um, you know, they, they know that their end is coming, but they're praying or asking that it wouldn't be the time. Um, so then the story takes on an unusual twist. We have a herd of pigs feeding and then the spirits beg him, send us into the pigs. Uh, Jesus gave them permission and then the pigs all race down the hill and are drowned. Um. I don't pretend to understand that. I don't know exactly what was going on or why that happened. Um, but, you know, you, you can point to several things and say, um, even though we don't understand it, there is a form of the gospel going out to the a Gentile people at that point because uh, good Jews would not have been raising pigs. But there's a, an awareness that God is presenting his power and giving them an understanding that there is more uh, to be had if they'll, if they'll receive it. But uh, the herdsmen run off. They tell people. They come out to see what happens. Uh, everybody is amazed. And, and what they see is astounding. They, they see the, the man that had been possessed. It says sitting there. You know, he's not, uh, when you're sitting, that's a possession of peace, right? You're, you're, uh, you're not agitated and having to move, but uh, he's sitting there. And, and then uh, it says he's clothed and in his right mind. And uh, everybody gets afraid of this. They, they have known this guy and, in a sense, uh, were bothered by the demonic, but they're even they're afraid of when he gets healed, which is kind of crazy to our thinking. But then they they beg Jesus to leave their region. And in this, there's kind of a um, an amazing thought. I, I was watching a John Piper video, and, and he brought out this idea in this passage that in Job's testing, he had a choice of worshiping God or bemoaning the fact that he had lost his health, his friends, 
his family, and his wealth. And in this case, people are realizing a loss of wealth, and they don't want the presence of God. And I guess the question comes up, how bad do I want the presence of God? Am I willing to lose virtually everything so that I could be in the presence of God? And we know on an eternal scale, it makes a whole lot more sense to respond to the, to the eternal. And yet the temporal has this pull, and these people see a loss of income. I mean, 2,000 pigs would be a big deal to anybody in this day, right? It's a, it's a significant form of wealth, but it's gone. And uh, even in that, though, they are more caught up with the loss of income than they are recognizing, here's the supernatural, here's an opportunity to meet with God. And uh, I just, I'm going, Lord, help me not to, to fall into similar things. Or when I'm feeling tested in regard to loss in my life, uh, am I willing to embrace what God has done? Or am I insistent that, uh, you know, this is something that uh, it should change if God truly loves me? And, you know, the, uh, the fact that we often, you know, put the temporal and elevate it to the place that we're unwilling to accept the supernatural is a, a tragedy. And yet uh, we're warned against it, even in, in passages like this. So um, the man begs Jesus to take him with him. And, uh, you know, I, I see on the slides there, I missed one, but it, you know, even the choice of uh, people when Paul casts out a, a, a demonic uh, presence, they ask, uh, they're upset with him. But uh, get back to this idea of of the, the presence of God. Um, this man begs um, Jesus to take him with him, and Jesus insists on him staying there. And... Uh, and an interesting idea in the sense of sometimes when we are having an encounter with the Lord and we have this wonderful thing, the thought is, well, I'll just leave where I'm at and I'll just follow this or take it wherever it will. And uh, in this case, Jesus tells him, stay where you are. And uh, I... Uh, you know, I'm looking at that, and you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where you're thinking, well, I'd want to stay in the presence of Jesus too. I, 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 you know, he had already violated all his own friendships of the past, and so it would have been easier to start over and just go somewhere else. But in this case, Jesus sends him back home, and uh, there's an interesting. Um, addition to this, because the next time Jesus is in that region of the Decapolis, uh, there are crowds of 4,000 that he feeds. And so I'm guessing that this story had been told over and over, and this man had proclaimed the work of Christ in that region. And, uh, you know, part of the draw the next time around was that they knew something unusual had taken place. Uh, pretty amazing. Um, 
Let's talk about the work of the kingdom in regard to the demonic for a bit. Um, Jesus, when he was on earth regularly, is casting out demons and driving out evil spirits. And you see stories uh, of him healing people and driving out spirits. And again, it's not, not all sickness is demonic connected, but there are instances of it for sure. And uh, in this, people are being set free. And that's part of the wonder of what we have in Christ. But then Jesus tells the disciples, you go out and you do the same. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Freely be received, freely give. When Jesus sends out the 72, they come back to him and, and they're astounded. And they say, even the demons submitted to us. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's great, but there are still more important things. Rejoice that your name's written down in heaven. And so even in this, there's a recognition that um, the de demons submitting in this temporal life does not supersede the value of the eternal life. And I guess in some ways, you know, we oftentimes would love to have power here on earth, but we need to be consumed with honoring God and glorifying him and rejoicing in our salvation and recognizing that we have the power to influence the temporal in ways that go beyond normal. So uh, he sends out the 12 and sends them to that. Here's an interesting passage as well. Um, John and some of the others had come to him and said, you know, we saw this guy casting out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he, he wasn't one of us. And Jesus tells him, leave him alone. You know, and if you're wrestling with whether, you know, the, the power of the supernatural was just for um, the disciples and the apostles to establish the gospel, as some will say, then why does this other guy who's not even connected have the power to accomplish that. And Jesus tells him, leave him alone. In other words, he's wanting this to be spread out. And he's wanting it to be used by his people. And he just says, whoever is not against us is for us. Um, it, it gets even wilder in the, in later on when Paul is uh, out. He's, he's uh, praying and, and miracles are happening. And it says that even handkerchiefs and aprons that have been touched uh, by his body were brought to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. Now, we can look at that and we can go, you got to be kidding. But it happened, you know, and I had the privilege of the first church that I pastored having an older man who was in his late 80s when I got to know him. And he was known throughout the region for doing similar things. People would uh, need prayer, and he'd pray over handkerchiefs, and they would be healed. Now, he had had a, a very dynamic salvation experience. He had been, walked in a godly path. But he read this passage, and he just took it for himself, and he believed it. He, he was a very black and white temperament where he just saw it. He believed it. And he practiced it, and it worked. And I always used to be amazed and loved hearing his stories and talking with people that had had it happen. And, uh, you know, you, 
you go, well, I don't understand it. Well, we don't have to understand it. The, the joy is knowing that it's still available and possible. Um, there are some incredible things that come out of that particular passage. Um, there is a priest whose sons were trying to do exorcisms, and they recognized the, the power that was in Paul. And so they try to appropriate it for themselves, and they, they try to uh, cast out demons saying in the name of Paul or whoever, you know, his power, and, and it doesn't work for him. In fact, um, they end up getting beaten and kicked out of the house, and, and uh, it, it alerts everybody in the area that the supernatural is not a toy, and it's not just a magic trick, but there is an unusual, wondrous thing connected to this. And so it says it became known all through Ephesus and, and fear came over people, but the name of the Lord Jesus was praised. And that should be the result of, of anything like this, that when we see the miraculous and when we see uh, the supernatural exert itself, there should be a, a wonder in our hearts that just says, Oh, may God be praised and may he, he be honored through this and worshiped uh, because it's just a, an amazing, amazing thing. And so that's what was happening in the region. But then it, it goes into a, a, a practical sense as well, where it says many of those who had been practicing deeds of darkness, basically, um, they came forward and they confessed that they had been participating in such things. And then they took it further. They collected their books and magic stuff and they burned them in the presence of everyone. In other words, they're saying, I don't want this in my life at any level. And this is wicked in its core. And I see it as being destructive. I guess in, in some ways, uh, one of the fears that I have of our day is that it's easy to dabble in stuff and to um, just treat it as if it's uh, really non-important. And we don't really let the gospel take the truth of that message deep enough into us. Whereas people who saw this and were very aware of the sacredness of what they had entered into and the wonder of what they had and the goodness of Christ and the joy of participating in the Holy Spirit, they're going, we don't want anything of darkness connected to our lives. And so they just started sorting out things that were profane and getting rid of them. And, and they made it a group activity. They, they brought it to the, to, together and they just burned them and said, we're done. This is over. And uh, it was amazing enough that when they're done, they, they look at the total of what they, they added up. It says 50,000 silver coins was the value of this. So this wasn't, uh, you know, this is like in contrast to the pigs, uh, you know, running down the hill and people begging Jesus to leave. Uh, this is in contrast to the, uh, the people who had the servant girl set free and, and they're driving Paul out of town. This is a situation we're going, where they're going, what we have is so precious and wondrous 
that will get rid of the financial gain or the benefit of what this has. They don't they don't go try to sell it. They don't try to just you know pawn it off. They try to to make something out of it, but rather they just said we want the sacred a part of our lives more than anything else here. And so they give up the value of it. They, they get rid of the temporal value for the eternal of what they have opportunity for. Very powerful lesson there. You know, in a sense to, to walk, even have the courage to walk through our homes and just say, you know what, am I hanging on to things that lead me in a profane path? Am I doing things that, that encourage the profane? Am I opening the door to wickedness? And uh, Jack Deere years ago would talk about allowing footholds to happen in our lives where if we want freedom and deliverance in certain areas. We need to go back and say, okay, if I open the door and allow it a foothold into my life for the profane or the wicked and even the demonic to harass me. And, you know, I don't, I don't like getting caught up in the arguments of what is it you know, with Christians, can a, a demon be possessed? They're non-spatial. They're not bound by those terms. But you can be certain that a Christian could be harassed and bothered by the demonic. And so we don't want any of those things uh, having a free foothold in our lives simply because we've been foolish. And there are times when it's completely appropriate to cut off things from our lives, even getting rid of things of value so that the sacred can have its full sway within us. Um, that said, uh, there's a, a passage in Ephesians that, in a sense, says we're locked into a conflict until Christ ends it at the end of time, and yet we are given power and authority to fight this thing. And it says, finally... Be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world rulers of this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And so that's what we're locked into. And yet, when we examine the wonder of having the Holy Spirit a part of our lives, we say, I want everything that God has, and I want to be clothed with his armor. I want to uh, be, I want to understand the schemes of the devil and resist them. Uh, I want to take this struggle and be victorious. And we say, God, reveal that to us and give us wisdom. And even as uh, you know, we look at this. I, I was, uh, I was walking through this, and I'm, and I'm going. I know people that are in torment, and I don't always pray against the demonic, and yet I need to pray that they're set free. When I see people that are, uh, their lives are basically could be summarized as torment, self destruction. Um, there's something there that needs to be dealt with, and, and we begin to pray for freedom. And there's a full recognition that the, the end of Satan's role and the demons is torment and destruction for them. 
So that this, this is a temporal battle, but it will be over one day, and Christ will be victorious in all things. Um, the kingdom of God continues to exert power over the demonic, and so we pray for that, and we ask for uh, him to, to set, life, set our own lives free, set others' lives free as well. Praise to God. Um, 